The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Bad Manners. This is the podcast that takes you inside Britain's stately homes and tells all the tales the guidebooks don't. My name is Tom Horton, and I'll be your host... As a comedian, I'm not really bothered about the facts and figures. I just want the juicy stuff. So I'm on a mission to find out the frightening, filthy and downright jaw-dropping stories of these stately homes and the people in them. In this episode, we'll be saying au revoir to our usual British buildings as we take a trip across the channel to see our French neighbours and delve into the rich and captivating history of one of the most famous palaces in the world. From its humble beginnings as a hunting lodge to its transformation into a symbol of absolute monarchy, the Palace of Versailles is a monument to French history and grandeur. Over the 300 years, the palace has played host to some of Europe's most powerful and eccentric characters. Sexy wallet drainer Marie Antoinette, everyone's favourite short, shouty military man Napoleon Bonaparte, plus almost every famous bloke named Louis you could care to mention. However, it wasn't long until the palace returned to the centre of European politics when, in 1919, the Treaty of Versailles was signed here, marking the end of World War I and bringing in a new era of Versailles as a monument to French society. Get ready for a journey filled with fun, fascinating and some quite frankly freaky facts as we discover the sordid scandals, intrigues and triumphs of those who lived and worked in one of the most magnificent palaces in the world. Holding our hand through this journey is someone who goes by the name of the Royal Historian. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you so much. My name is Brigitte. I have a TikTok named Brigitte Marie, where I talk about royal history. And I do that because I also specialised in monarchical history when I studied history at university. Thank you for joining us. How are you? You're over in Amsterdam at the moment. How are things over in Amsterdam? Cold and rainy, the usual, I suppose. <laughs> Cold and rainy. Well, that means that we've got the same climate as over here. We're connected in some way. Tell me, how did you first fall in love with Versailles? Where, where did this love affair begin? See, I think that I have this very warm place in my heart for certain figures from history. So I remember watching Sofia Coppola's Marie Antoinette movie and I was, I don't know, 10, 11. And I was just watching this movie and I just sort of falling in love with the costumes and the stories. And from there on, that fascination just grew. And I just read more about Marie Antoinette as I grew up. And I have this thing where I just love being in places. So I have it mostly with castles and with graves. <laughs> that sort of brings me Castles physically. and graves. Yeah. What a lovely combo. I know. They bring me like physically closer to these people who died hundreds of years ago, right? So to just walk where they walked 
is something that, that just gives me a sort of feeling I can't yeah do, do, do you spend a lot of time in graveyards well you see like I wrote my thesis on Joanna the Mad and it's like I really just want to go visit her grave like it's something <laughs> that I just want hey. to want to do like it's 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 cool to be you know where their last their last resting place so yeah but I have it also very much with palaces and Fazai is such a historic location I mean you just described it it's not just Marie Antoinette it's all these people who live there as well as so many things that happened so yeah it's just cool to sort of breathe in all that history and Fazai has so much of that so absolutely so we want to take our listeners on a journey to Versailles. So we need to sort of set the scene of what it looks like as we're approaching the palace. What are we seeing? Can you paint the picture? Versailles, the chateau, is like 20 kilometers west of Paris. You can take a train and visit it. And you leave the train station, you just go by foot, move around a corner and it pops up. And there's this huge statue of Louis XIV on horseback in all his kingly splendor. And you have these gorgeous golden gates. I'm imagining like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory sort of level of no expense spared in the run up to this place. You know that you're arriving at somewhere special then. Yeah. 15 million people visit Fizai every year. It's one of the biggest tourist attractions in the world. And for reason, right? It was built to impress. You can't really talk about Versailles without mentioning the Louis that live mm-hmm. there. There were multiple Louis, but I just need to get sure in my head which Louis were there, which numbers, and then which one was the one that was married to Marie Antoinette. <laughs> right. So we've got the first Louis, Louis XIV, who did not build it. Uh, his father did, but he definitely turned, turned it into this huge palace and made it his life's work. And then we've got... The second Louis who lived there, Louis XV, and he was Louis XIV's great grandson, and he was very much an overspender and quite the the extravagant lifestyle kind of person with a lot of mistresses too. And then we come to his grandson, which is Louis XVI, who is the one where it all ended, and he is also the one who was married to Marie Antoinette. Right. <laughs> We're about to pass through these golden gates and they're swinging open for you and me. We're walking up there. And now what we met with as we go through the gates. In my head, I always picture Fazai being pink, but it's not necessarily very pink. It has right. these reddish bricks and these bluish roofs and everything is just golden. And wherever you look, you constantly see those like Apollos because Louis XIV saw himself as Apollo. Right. Which is a god the sun king it has this u shape a u shape yeah a bit of a u shape which is nice <laughs> because it has a lot of windows it's shaped like me no you mean a literal u yeah <laughs> sorry, sorry sorry it's quite small on top i've got some love handles no. you don't say that in english a u shape or do you <laughs> no you do it's just okay. I, I i'm just being an idiot no okay cool just checking okay so the the old chateau is in the middle and inside of that is the hall of mirrors which is quite famous. Tell me about this Hall of Mirrors. Now, when did this happen? Why is that there? It was built by Louis XIV. I think it took 
a little less than 10 years to make it. And it's filled with mirrors. And honestly, if you visit it now, especially if you just go and visit like, you know, just a regular person and don't have like a private tour, it's just filled with tourists. You can't really take it in that well. But at the time it was spectacular because mirrors were extremely expensive and they came from Venice, which is very expensive mirrors. And, and just, to, just to quickly just describe, so is it, is it like a, a big hall with the, they're all on the wall or are there ones in the middle or yeah because like, when you say a hall of mirrors I imagine like a, a circus fair when it's all like you can't <laughs> you literally can't move around the mirrors no 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 they're on the walls they're on the wall. okay <laughs> they're on the walls and one wall it's like it's long right like it's a hall so um one side of it is window and it looks out on on the beautiful gardens of Versailles, like these huge parks. So that's stunning as well. Um, yeah, and they're just they're just everywhere there are um, these mirrors. How, how big is the biggest mirror are we talking? Like, <laughs> okay. big? Um, definitely big enough to make a full body selfie. Yeah. yeah okay, <laughs> nice. So we've passed the mirrors. Mm-hmm. And then what's the, what are the other notable rooms that we're, we're walking through? Well, I always really enjoy visiting the apartments of Louis XV's daughters because a couple of them never married and they stayed in Versailles. Because at this time, women, obviously, they, like, they got married at 13, 14 and they would leave and they would never come back. They would make these like political marriages. But a couple of Louis XV's daughters didn't. They preferred to stay home, basically. And they have their apartments and now they're, they're really nice. I really like that because they give a good impression of how the royal family would have lived. Marie Antoinette and, and the king's bedrooms are insane. Like those are definitely a highlight of the interior of the palace, of the chateau itself. It's beautiful. And it's like the most girly, fantastical bedroom that you can imagine. Like it has all these sorts of, like it's so extravagant and it's pink and flowers and it's beautiful. <laughs> but also like, I wouldn't be able to sleep a wink in there, to be honest. It's just it's just too much, right? Like, how can you sleep when you're in a room like that? And the king's bedroom, same. And they're also like, these bedrooms are really so much, there's so much ceremony around those rooms. And you can see and feel it in the rooms because there are literal gates around the beds to keep the courtiers away from the bed. Yeah, because I was going to say, there were, there were rituals that happened where people would come and watch mm-hmm. the royals get ready for bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Is that right? Yeah, it's called Levee. So what? So yeah, talk us through what would happen there. Because, <laughs> I mean, personally speaking, if anyone saw my ritual of going to bed, it, it wouldn't be that entertaining. I'm having a Horlicks <laughs> and uh, reading a book. I mean, it wasn't just watching. They would also participate in undressing or dressing the king, right? Because even if the king had slept in a different room, which he did, like with a mistress or with the queen or, you know, he would still have to go to his main bedroom um, to wake up at eight. And that's when the whole ceremony would start. And someone would just whisper in his ear and be like, you have to wake up now. And he would wake up. And also like, they wouldn't sleep alone in their rooms, right? There would be people in that room sleeping with them, like at the foot of their bed to also prevent them from, I don't know, getting killed in their sleep <laughs> that sort oh, of stuff like just sort of curled up on the bottom of the mm-hmm. bed like a dog mm, yeah they were yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> which was you know honor to be able to sleep at the king's the foot of the king's bed that was you uh, yeah, know honor and this is this is if you want to understand life at Fazai, you have to understand that everything revolved around the king right because he was le roi de soleil the sun king he was the sun the star of the universe and everyone like revolved around him everyone aspired to be near him and he would wake up and just 
putting like a fresh shirt over his head was like the main, like that was, you would have made it. Must have been quite interesting sleeping next to this guy who you perceive as a god living amongst you. <laughs> if he snores mm. loudly, you know, it's like, oh my God, this is a guy. He's come down from the heavens and then... I mean... It's going to break the illusion slightly, hasn't it? <laughs> I mean, yeah, but at the same time, they would be undressing and dressing him. So there was a lot sure. that they saw of the king that would not look very divine. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah uh, uh, I mean, yeah. just like it's I, a fair chance that people would just be watching him if he would use his chamber pot. So this, the, like. <laughs> That's yeah. not very godly. <laughs> no, but him being doing these human tasks. Uh, yeah. But surrounded human, by all human that task ceremony, is a lovely way of putting it. Surrounded by all that ceremony, made it divine because he didn't tie his own shoelaces. Someone else did that for him, right? There was very little that he was even allowed to do himself because that would just not fit his position. And as far as um, undressing him and who got to do that, would that be you know you'd bid for it and go right? Okay, if, if you pay a hundred quid, then you can take off a shoe. Mm, no, definitely not. No, like the king. Five hundred for a shirt. The king would decide. Well, there was protocol around this, right? So um, it's quite this famous story of Marie Antoinette going through the waking up, getting ready, out of bed, sort of levee, and she would stand there in her bedroom, half naked, and constantly someone else came into the room who had a higher rank. So first it was like a cousin, and then it was like a sister of the king, and then it was like you know. So at one point she just would be standing there just trembling in cold and <laughs> she just was like can yeah. please the highest ranking woman come in so i can put my shirt on because yeah, yeah. the highest ranking lady in the room most likely a royal not a noble but a royal would finally put that shirt over her head prince harry and Meghan thought that they had it hard it's, <laughs> it's a whole different level The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. 
I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So 8 Mm a.m., I'm the king, and I get woken up, and someone goes, Louis. It's time. <laughs> Vaguely, yeah. what would happen? Well, there were these, like I said, there were these gates around his bed to sort of keep a large chunk of the nobles a little bit out of, like, away from Louis. But in general, there would be around a hundred people in his bedroom during the ceremony. That's a lot so, of people. Yeah, that's a lot of people. And depending on, I guess, the fashions also of the time, the, the clothes would be put on. And for, like for women, they would definitely first put on the shoes and then the rest of the dress, right? And as a finishing touch... You put the shoes on first? Yeah, because if you are in these... Well, they wouldn't worn corsets but stays. But they were... Yeah, they wouldn't be able to sort of lean forward to put their shoes on after they put on the corset. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, but then they didn't really put their own shoes on, to be honest. Like, Marie Antoinette definitely would not put her own shoes on. Now the king's eventually managed to get his clothes on <laughs> with a hundred people. What's it like, Versailles in general, walking around? It's overcrowded. If I have to pick one word to describe Versailles at the time, overcrowded, um, yeah, yeah, of this when it was the centre of French politics, it was just overcrowded because they made all these nobles live with them. There would be between five thousand and ten thousand people at Versailles, and that would include yeah. that would include the royal family, nobles, but also right. like government officials. And of course, the servants. So, you know, like people from the kitchens and all of that, they would live in this castle or like neighboring, like the lodgings around it. And it was just overcrowded and it wasn't clean. It was disgusting because there was no running water. There was no plumbing. That was just not not something they did. They didn't bathe because they thought that was unhealthy. Really? Wow. Yeah, they did. Because... 
I have to sort of defend Fazai here because not bathing and being just in general just disgusting was something that just was part of like early modern Europe, right? Because the the Romans they would have bathed, but that stopped during the Middle Ages because um, I wonder. Yeah, I was going to say was, why. Yeah, because it was considered bathing was considered something um, luxurious by the church because so they were like you don't need to do this this is luxury we're not doing as you go to hell if you go take a bath you go to hell if you take <laughs> a bath <laughs> well it's not something yeah. they literally would have said we, but we want, yeah, a, it was we want just a smelly not, heaven that's what no, we want and add to that angels is, with dirty halos <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> no they so they and then add to that which is also an important aspect of this is that there was not running water so a lot of the water was infected with bacteria like during those parts of the Middle Ages, no one would drink water. They would be drinking beer or wine, wine for the rich, beer for the poor. Like water was just not drinkable. So bathing in it would open your pores and people would think, oh, that's going to bring all these diseases in. So it was just something considered to be very unhealthy to bathe. And this is the thing that made Fazai so disgusting is that kings before that time, like, for example, if you look at, you know, the British or English Henry VIII, he also had a court of a thousand people, but he would travel around, like he would move from one castle to the other. Right. But Louis stayed, Louis stayed in Fazai. Right, so yeah. like if Henry VIII was at Hampton Court, they would run out of livestock and all of that. And the palace would become very gross and they would be like, well, let's move on to this next palace. But Fazai was constantly the center of it all so they wouldn't move out and there was no plumbing there was nothing like that so people would so literally just, yeah, it was just pile and pile and pile until you just be yeah there's, there's excrement eight foot up the curtains yeah and, and like <laughs> they wouldn't bathe their clothes they wouldn't really wash their clothes and i mean they look beautiful in all these portraits but there was a lot of perfume going around yeah i i <laughs> bet i bet there was a lot of perfume going around and of course rats mice lice like the furniture would be like there would be like literally animals living inside the furniture they wouldn't wash their hair because they thought that having greasy hair was healthy and kind of beautiful and these wigs would be like filled with lice and it was just it was very gross like during louis XIV's time there would have just not been like anything like a toilet so they would literally just use like the staircase behind the staircase or the these hallways <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> I know. But then later on, they would include these sort of toilets that would just be like these wooden things with a hole in the middle. But Marie Antoinette did bathe once a month, which she was a lot. She bathed once a month, yeah. She, wow. That was considered a lot because <laughs> Louis XV bathed apparently twice in his life. So. Look, there's this story of her walking through the garden and Marie Antoinette and someone literally threw a book, bucket of filth, like, because that's what they would do. They would use, <laughs> they would use these chamber pots um, that would stand like literally at the foot of your bed. And then the next morning, someone would, like the servant would throw it out of the window. And at one point there was this story that it ended up on. Going all over her. The queen. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. That might have been her one bath a month that that day probably yeah <laughs> the big take from bloomberg news brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world 
Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. With so many people living in the site at the same time, very crowded, there must have been scandal between people, affairs, love mm. affairs. People must have been bonking left, right, and center. There must have been lots of illicit stuff. No, not at all. No, they all behaved. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> they were very well behaved. Sure. No, look, just looking at Louis XIV, um, I think it's a fair statement to make that he just loved women and not just like sleeping with them, but also just hanging around with them. He just loved talking to them and he, he loved like that charm and he thought they were just beautiful creatures. So he enjoyed having women around him. This is just not to be a psychologist, but if you didn't know his dad and he grew up with his mother, this is very much <laughs> well, mother I mean, attachment syndrome, I think. Yeah. So he had a brother, one brother, Philippe of France. He became the Duke of Orléans, Duke d'Orléans. And he, his mother dressed him 
in girl clothes and she calls him also like my girl I think she just really wanted a, a daughter but she like she turned her youngest son in a girl she made him wear girl clothes and Philippe would magically turn out to be bisexual later on in life yeah he had a he had a, he literally had a, an affair with a guy guy Armand to <laughs> Garmont Guy. Guy. is he called Guy, Guy? Well, yeah, that was his first name. It's Guy Armand de Carmont, I think that's how you pronounce it. And that was quite a flamboyant character, to be honest, because he did not just have an affair with Philippe. He also had an affair with Philippe's wife, Henrietta. You know, sometimes there are these figures in history that just that I just love. And I have to say Henrietta and Philippe are definitely high up that list because they were just the stories to tell. Like, Please give some examples, yeah. Mm, so zooming in on Henrietta for a bit here, she was the daughter of your beheaded king, Charles I, I think. Is that Charles I? Yeah, yep. definitely. Yep. She was his daughter, but her mother was a French princess. So she fled to France and her mother kind of wanted her married to Louis XIV, but he was kind of promised to this Spanish princess, Maria Theresa. So she ended up with the younger brother, Henrietta, married Philippe. And... Philippe was, well, he was bisexual or gay. Like historians are not very sure what to call them. And I don't think we should really put those labels on those people because Philippe would not have been able to tell you because he wouldn't have known the difference. Um, Fluid, fluid, (laughs) I'm sure. Yeah. So I guess like the love of his life was the Chevalier. And his marriage with Henrietta was because they both had these affairs because she cheated on him a lot as well. They both did. It was kind of a rough marriage because Henrietta also had a very close relationship to the king, to Philippe's brother. Um, we're not sure if it was ever actually like romantic. I guess yeah, that... you could say there's a chance <laughs> that it was because Henrietta yeah. was kind of this character. She was also, she was always very mal- very skinny. She was a very unhealthy person. She would go have these lake, middle of the night, she would swim in that artificial lake and just, she couldn't sleep. And so that happened. But yeah, she also had an affair with Guy and she didn't want her husband to find out because even though he wasn't necessarily very in love with her, he also, at the same time, this is, you have to see, like, this is a very patriarchal society, right? So mm-hmm. <laughs> your yeah, wife sure. just sleeping around would be embarrassing to you. So Philippe would definitely not be happy with her having that affair with his lover. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this is my gi. I mean, Get yeah, your hands exactly. off my gi. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, there's this, there's, this, there's this famous story of a gi being in Henrietta's rooms. And Philippe entering, and a loyal servant punched Guillermo in the face, and he could kind of escape because his face was bloody and covered with a handkerchief. So, so he, sorry, he punched Philippe in the yeah. face. Yeah, yeah. It was a so loyal ki- servant punching. Yeah, his that, master I in mean the face. that is a, that yeah, that is a servant putting his neck on the <laughs> line, isn't it? I that, mean, what, yeah. Oh, what do I do? How do I distract him? And then just deciding to wallop him in the nose. <laughs> They're just genius. Just it's a decision. Solution. You've made it. You've like, done it. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah. And then Henrietta kind of had like a pretty scandalous end as well because she drank a glass of, I think, water and died. And everyone was just convinced that she was poisoned. Don't drink the water. Not convinced the that she was poisoned. <laughs> no. Yeah. Like she was, she always struggled with her health. So I guess most historians agree that she wasn't poisoned. But yeah, you can see why people would have thought so. And a lot of people thought that it was the Chevalier, which was like the love of her husband's life. 
And then Philippe did rush to her bedside when they told her, like, look, your wife, something happens. He rushed to her bedside and apparently she also said something along the lines of Mon Show, why did you do this to me? <laughs> like, oh. I know we haven't been happy for a long while, but did you have to do this? So yeah. yeah, he was, he, a lot of people thought that she may have been poisoned by her own husband. And Louis XIV even said, like, if I find out who murdered her, there'll be the end of it. But um, they never found anyone. They never found so, anyone. Interesting. No, there's no proof. No one was ever found. So, but God knows. Yeah. Like those are, those are the things I think that we, as historians, there are a lot of things we have to accept that we will never know. And that's one of them, I think. Maybe the historians will never know because their credibility relies on facts and accuracy. I, however, lost all credibility a long time ago, leaving me free to speculate. And speculate I will. I reckon she was poisoned. Sounds like the smelly people of Versailles had a great time. Having affairs, undressing the king, punching the duke in his face, throwing parties and bodily fluids at the queen. How do you top that? Well, before we bid you adieu, I think we can squeeze in one more scandal. Napoleon spent a lot of time at Versailles. Not at Versailles, not at the Chateau, but at uh, Grand Trianon. You have Petit and Grand Trianon, right? And they're like in the back of the whole garden. And as the name kind of gives away, Grand Trianon is a little bigger than Petit Trianon, which was built by Louis XV for his mistress, uh, Madame de Pompadour. But she died before it was finished. So he gave it to Madame du Barry. I love Madame du Barry. She was an actual prostitute from a brothel. Wasn't a popular choice because having a mistress was kind of like... It's like the ultimate masculine thing to have a lot of mistresses. So sure. Madame du Barry, she did not come from a from a noble family. So her being the maîtresse en titre, like the first mistress, it was like a literal position, would not give her family, you know, like the whole family around that mistress would get a lot of money and position and all of that sort of stuff from having your girl, your daughter, your granddaughter or whatever be the mistress en titre like had a lot of advantages so you were like a pretty lucky fellow if your daughter was the mistress en titre but yeah madame du barry was not a noble she literally came from an actual brothel so it was a very unpopular choice but i love madame du barry she was she was oh, very she, yeah. she, she was have also any she was also beheaded during the revolution and they literally had to drag her to the scaffolds and she was like Please don't. She didn't have a very <laughs> dignified death, but I like respect okay. her for that because it's just. Well, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, yeah I mean, dignity is going to do no good to you if you're dead, is it? So just, <laughs> no. I'd be, so I'd, I'd, yeah, so I'd be cursing everyone out. I'd be throwing rocks at people. I'd take my stiletto off. I'd be stabbing people in the eye. It's so unfair that they ended up beheading even like Madame du Barry. Like, what was she going to do about it? It's not like they were like, do you want to be the mistress of the king? And she, what was she supposed to say? No, like, obviously she was going to to do that. This isn't really a question, if I'm being honest. But (laughs) No, yeah, no. Yeah, Louis XIV and Louis XV both had very huge sexual appetites. Louis XVI did not enjoy the company of women. Like, he was a bit of a nerd, so he liked... Like, he was a nerd. Yeah, he was a bit of a nerd. So, and and um, I'm going to try and say this in the best way possible. Women at the time were not as highly educated, so the kind of conversation that he wanted to have was kind of difficult to have that with women who were just like trained to do needlework and dancing. So he he didn't really like spending time with women. Um, 
and also like he was mostly he was really into logs and like this kind of random hobbies. into into what lock making oh like locks. logs yeah <laughs> he loved that it's fascinated with keys yes okay interesting yeah so he didn't really like to spend a lot of time it t- took him 10 years almost to get Marie Antoinette pregnant. He did love his wife a lot. He wanted to stay faithful to her. It wasn't a popular choice because everyone was like, please take my daughter as your mistress yeah, and let me benefit from that. So that was very unpopular. Wow. Yeah. Staying faithful to your wife being unpopular? Only in Versailles. And we'll be hearing all about Marie Antoinette in a future episode, including how she posed for a very sexy portrait, how she didn't ride horses, and how she eventually lost her head. This is during the time that all these nobles and all these aristocrats were were getting beheaded, right? Mm -hmm. Just mass beheading going on on Place de la Révolution. Until then, don't tie your own shoelaces. For God's sake, have a bath more than once a month. Oh, and mind your manners. That's French for bye! <laughs> Thanks for listening to Bad Manners. If you like the pod, please share it with your friends. Rate it on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review and make sure you spill the tea on any of your favourite bad manners that we could feature in future episodes. This podcast was produced by Atomized Studios for iHeartRadio. It was hosted by me, Tom Horton. It was produced by Willa Malensky, Rebecca Rappaport and Chris Attaway. It was executive produced by Faye Stewart and Zad Rogers. Our production manager is Caitlin Paramore and our production coordinator is Bella Salini. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.